0: Welcome to Minerva's Creative Conversations, a podcast show where I dig deeper into the personal journeys and professional careers of influential and successful women and how their stories can inspire others to achieve success. I am your host, Minerva Salas, and today my special guest is Evita Salas, commanding officer of the Phoenix Military Entrance Processing Station. Evita, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on the show, Minerva. Evita, it is a pleasure to have you on the show. What inspired you to join the United States, Amy?
1: So what inspired me to join the Navy, I think was my father. Uh, So we have a um, long history of military service in our family and being more close with my dad. I, you know, got to see firsthand, he was in the army by the way, got to see firsthand his experiences, things that he's done. He's taken me along um, on some of his uh, uh, tours of duty, you know, and I got to see little bits and pieces of stuff that he's done. So I think more than anything, he inspired me, but the reason why I didn't go for Army, everyone in my family did Army, the only one that did Navy, uh, was I think junior ROTC. I did that in high school and that left uh, an indelible impression on me. And I think that's what really, Made me pursue navy as opposed to some of the other branches of service.
0: So, and here I am, um, 13 years later. I'm happy to be here. And you had served as a naval flight officer aboard the Charlie Orion in Hawaii. How was that experience as a female aviator? Oh, so PP yeah,
1: Charlie, yeah, Orion, yeah, absolutely. It was um, a really good experience. Um, that was one of the highlights. I think of naval service was serving in aviation. Um, mostly because of the camaraderie uh, the squadron camaraderie uh, that you have with the people you work with so p3 charlie orion is a large multi-engine aircraft Uh, its main mission is uh, surveillance and and sub hunting and so we have large crews uh, on board uh, that aircraft sometimes we have over 20 people or more sometimes we have guests on there so we we have a lot of people on there and then you, you grow really close with your crew and, and you build bonds with your teammates. So I think more than anything, that that's what I enjoyed most about aviation was that part of it. I think one of the good things about Naval service, at least the Navy, I can speak for the Navy, is the opportunity to on-ramp and off-ramp is what we call it, to be able to switch uh, different career paths at different points of your career. So I got to a point where I was in that right Sweet spot, I guess, you know, the time and service and everything. And I had little children, and I was working at the time at Navy Personnel Command. So it's very human resources centric. So I was around a lot of people that were in the HR community, and they educated me on what human resources officers do and how, I guess, my skills, talents, and abilities was a good fit for that community, in addition to the lifestyle um, and family obligations that I had at the time. So it was an opportunity to uh, serve, still serve, and also um, be a little bit more grounded because it's more administrative um, type of work, uh, manpower. There's, there's different facets about it. So it's mostly office type of work. And so it kind of gave me more of a regular schedule to be a, uh, a single mom and also work and also serve serve my country. So it seemed like a really good fit career-wise um, and work-life balance wise as well.
0: You know, having a, a regular schedule that does help as a career mom. Um, what are the ages of your children? Right now I got an eight-year-old boy and a six year old daughter. So you have your hands full with these kids. I certainly do. <laughs> well, I congratulate you. I congratulate you because having children and having such a demanding job is not easy. So that's that's an inspiration that so I think it's wonderful.
1: Thank you and, and just to kind of add to that too, and, and I think that's a good point that you bring up is uh, a lot of people don't often equate being a single parent or being uh, you know you know parent to you know demanding kids to a military career. Uh, I think people tend to have a preconceived notion about what entails military service, but I can tell you, being in the military nearly thirteen years now, that there's different career paths and there's different um, ways you can go, and I think uh, military has evolved a lot over the years to where it is more uh, amenable to um, different family circumstances, and um, you can have a better work-life balance now than I think you could than ever before. So. If people are considering military service and and they're a single parent, just know that there are a lot of support services out there. There's childcare centers. There's all kinds of all kinds of services and programs available um, to folks who who are in that situation. So it doesn't necessarily need to be a barrier to serving your country.
0: That's wonderful. That's great. I mean, now we have you know so many women working and having children, and sometimes they delay having children because they are afraid that they will not have that support in their careers. So this is good to know for a lot of women that you are considering to join the military, that you have that support. Absolutely.
1: And motherhood should not be a penalty. It should, it, it should be something to be embraced, something that we can work around some of the most talented women that ever existed were working moms. Just look at Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who just passed away, right? She's, the epitome of a working mom and the hours she put in. She made it work and she had a successful career and most people don't get to become a Supreme Court justice, let alone, you know, a mom, you know, like her. So it's, it's kind of, a, it's very inspiring. And and I think um, we do need a lot more movement in the military. I'm always a big advocate of that. Of that. And being a mom shouldn't deter
0: you. I, I think you can do both. I think you can be a mom and you can serve. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, currently you serve as the commanding officer of the Phoenix Military Entrance Processing Station. What are some of the HR programs that you helped implement?
1: So that tour is, um, so it's a command tour um, and for the, for the Military Entrance Processing stations, we call them MEPS for short. Um, it tends to be individuals that work at those MEPS are from a human resources type of background, uh, both on the officer and enlisted side. So, um, during my short time there, I took command in April, this past April, so about seven months or six, six months uh, into the tour. And some of the things that I already identified, um, our awards program, you know, awards and recognition is, is a key HR program. And um, so I took a look at that and how we could re- revamp that and restructure that. And so made some tweaks there, but, but I will say that my predecessor did a fantastic job and um, got a lot of these programs in place and now i'm here just kind of putting another spin on it um taking it to the next level i guess if you will so revamping that where it uh, um we can recognize um, other categories and um put a new board up in in the uh center that's not there and display uh my team's talents and abilities uh, more readily to people who come into the uh mess Then the other thing I was looking at was data analytics. So um, in HR, data analytics is very important, especially for decision-making. We use a lot of manpower systems uh, that give us real-time data that we need to make decisions. So I kind of took all that and uh, streamlined to make it a little more simplified. There was so much data and we shared it with key stakeholders. So I looked at ways to streamline that to make it a little more simplified. So like a dashboard style of like key points and um, key takeaways and the essential stuff that our um, partners, stakeholders, and such need to make their informed decisions as well. So uh, so that's two things I'm doing right now. And then the third is um, process improvement. So it's something I'm passionate about as well. I'm a Lean Six Sigma Green Belt. I'd like to become a Black Belt one day, but um, even with my Green Belt training, I'm able to find efficiencies in uh, our processes uh, where we can become more efficient time wise and reduce uh, bottlenecks and waste and such so i was looking at uh, so medical and processing sections for my center we're, were um, trimming some uh, areas where um, we reduce time with, with certain things particularly one example is a waiver process we are able to do same day waivers which is a, a lot of the other maps don't um so wow. it just uh, it also it's not just our efforts too but it's also the efforts of the services too who kind of do their part as well so it's a It's a collaborative effort, so. But those are some of the ones that I can think of right now that we're working on. But, um, you know, as as my time goes on there, I have a two-year tour there. I I can identify more um, areas to improve upon and let things run efficiently.
0: Absolutely, it's it sounds like it's very time efficient, and you can get a lot more done with just you know these programs that are being implemented. So, um, congratulations to you on that. Now, as a Navy Human Resources Officer. What can you recommend to team members to communicate effectively with people of different backgrounds?
1: So the first thing I think of when you say that is so diversity, right? That's, that's all the buzz you hear nowadays, yeah. right? Yes, right. you do right. hear that. Diversity, of course, does not necessarily entail race or, je- or um, ethnic origins and such. It does also entail different backgrounds, different skill sets, different abilities, uh, personalities, all the things that matter in the workplace. So I think it's very important to foster that and to promote that. And as a leader, I think it's something that should be at the forefront of the um, topics that we discuss you know, with our teams and let them know our position on it and how we um, uh, promote that. So um, that's something that I always encourage. And um, I think the more diverse the teams are, the, the more, Value-added, uh, the inputs and um, the perspectives. So when you have everyone thinking the same way, things kind of become stagnant, and progress doesn't typically happen when everyone's on the same page. You get groupthink, you know that happens. So to to mitigate that, you need people from different backgrounds, personalities, and then you have different perspectives. And although you may not always agree on things, but you can see things from, from different viewpoints, and then you can build and incorporate that and build. Uh, a solution that's multifaceted that kind, that incorporates all these different viewpoints and perspectives and diverse opinions. So it just makes a very rich uh, work environment. And so yeah, so as a leader, I, that's something that I, I definitely find very important to uh, keep at the forefront and um, and whenever when able, keep a diverse team.
0: I think that's I think that's great because also it eliminates misunderstandings. You know, it eliminates the misunderstandings and you having people come in. From not just, like you had just said, it's not a race, it's not just race or ethnicity, it's different skill sets, um, different experiences. So if you have all these people with all that vast knowledge coming from different areas, different backgrounds, you're going to have your end results going to be much better. I think it's, uh, I agree. It will, you definitely will be able to solve better problems uh, and it's very important. I think as a leader, that's something that's really important that your group, understands people of different backgrounds and able to work together to come to, you know, to solutions. Absolutely. And now this is interesting. You recently did a TED Talk, DAU, which is the Defense Acquisition University. And you talked about the silent observer. Can you elaborate on what is a silent observer? Thank you. Um, Silent observer is someone who who hear
1: something, see something, and they do nothing about it. Uh, So that could be, in relation to the TEDx talk that I did, it was in relation to military sexual violence, which encompasses sexual harassment, sexual assault. Um, That's the uh, catch-all phrase, to kind of encompass all those wide ranging um, actions, right? Um, So the silent observer in that case would see someone making a joke, or hear them, or they'll see a poster, or they'll um, be around when a conversation is had about about, um, sexist jokes and things of that nature. It could even be as far reaching as witnessing a sexual assault, which is probably less likely to happen uh, than witnessing or hearing a joke or comment, uh, which happens more often than actually witnessing a sexual assault, I'd say. So that's not an observer in that case has the opportunity to advocate or to even something as simple as you know that's not something we should be saying in the workplace it's not appropriate just taking some kind of action doesn't necessarily mean putting up a billboard or or screaming to the top of your lungs on a corner so that that's not necessarily what um how a silent observer uh, can change from being a silent observer to an advocate it it starts with the most minute things because those minute things, when people aren't enabled and empowered, those turn into bigger things. So stopping them sooner rather than later will prevent a lot of the problems that we still have in the military with sexual harassment and sexual assault. Um, So that's what I mean by uh, the silent observer, someone who sees it, who hears it, but they do nothing. And uh, unfortunately, that that happens um, too often where uh, people witness, they don't want to Put their neck out, or they will be ostracized, or they're fearful that um, they're going to be out of the in group um, and that sort of thing. But uh, in order for change to happen, you know, those types of uh, disruptors need to happen. You know, the uh, folks who come up and, and say, you know what, enough is enough of this. You know, this is not okay. This is not right. This needs to change. So,
0: so you had said that a lot of the observers do nothing. And it it just seems that maybe they were fearful of the repercussions of what could happen if they they did speak up. And I think like you said just small steps, just something can help save a life. I mean, we have Vanessa Guillen, um, God bless her soul, that unfortunately she didn't have an advocate. You know, she reached out, she even informed her mother that she was sexually harassed and a lot of things, you know, could have been done. Other things could have been done to save her. So I think it's this is so important that even if it could be anonymously in some way, but do not let these type of acts go full forward. We have to do something. So I, I, the military is, I think, is doing its best. Unfortunately, the Vanessa Guillen was a very unfortunate incident. And it was very tragic. So let's move this forward. Let's definitely, um, this is something that needs to put, be put to light so we can protect, you know, not just to women, also men, you know, there was, there's also men that have been, um, that can be sexually assaulted as well. So this is very important. And I thank you for doing the Ted talk on this and getting this out there and putting it to light. And, and that's the reason why I did the Ted talk to, um, um, uh, I, I chose that topic because,
1: It was an area where i think more can still be done than what's been done and um i think of vanessa again and and i think about where was her silent observer you know where where was the person who who may have witnessed or who may have you know observed something that was off you know that could have potentially saved her life exactly so that that's the far end of the spectrum you know murder you know with these actions that's that's what it could lead to and the, the the man that killed her who's now deceased also um, he he did so who knows the reasons why but that there was, there was some something there you know either he you know he felt empowered to, to do it or something that triggered that triggered him to, to take this action when that trigger should not have been there so that's the thing we want to we prevent. We want to prevent those triggers from happening. And um, fortunately, a precious life is lost. And what we can do now, we learn from this, and we can do better. We can be better. And we can encourage others to do better and be better and eliminate this once and for all. But um, it, takes, it takes more than one person to do it. You know, it takes a, a collaborative group effort. It takes people
0: caring enough and seeing the importance and taking action. Exactly. Thank you for that. We have amazing leaders in the military, and I'm sure you can share with us amazing advice. And I wanted to ask you, what advice can you give someone to help them handle uncomfortable situations in their work environment? So, great question. Thank thank you for that. Um, For one, uncomfortable situations are
1: going to happen. So you're not always gonna be prepared for it. But the best thing you can do, I think, when uncomfortable situations arise, depending on what they are, of course, right, is to ground yourself. I mean, to be poised and tactful. So I always say that because you don't wanna overreact. Um, It could be something that that just really throws you off guard or catches you off guard. You really wanna be in a place where you can be focused enough to address it. So if, if it's coming from a place of, of rage or anger or um, sadness or uh, you know extreme emotions, you may not make the best choice in that matter. Um, for instance, I'll give you an example. So uh, you're in the workplace and somebody says an offhanded um, remark that just upsets you. Um, it could have been you know something about you know a friend of yours or, or, or something to that effect. You know just just an example. And uh, rather than um, attack the person or, or say something that might make the problem worse, uh, just the best thing you can do is just take a breath, um, gather yourself. You may, not, you may not even say something at that moment, but when you feel that you're ready, if you are at that moment, sure. Or you can come back later on uh, an hour later, half hour, when you kind of calm down, you had a chance to Uh, get yourself in a good place to have that conversation with the person. Um, If you're not comfortable talking to the person, you can always uh, have a supervisor or someone else come in and and assist uh, with that discussion, share your concerns. But the last thing you want to do, I think, is to let things fester, let things linger and and keep it and internalize it to where it bothers you or keeps you up at night. And um, then you kind of wish that you would have done something differently. So if something bothers you, and that, that kind of ties into being a silent observer to kind of, is to not let things linger and fester. You wanna address things that are, that are off, um, whether it's that example I mentioned, or even something bigger or smaller. So, um, and the best, pla- the best way you can do that is from a place of, of clear mindedness, a uh, place where your emotions are, are in check, and, and you're not in a position where you're gonna aggravate the situation worse.
0: Well, Evita, thank you so much for joining us today. I am truly grateful for your invaluable advice and for being such a positive force for women in the military. Thank you for having me, Minerva. It's been been a pleasure to be on your show. Um, Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Evita. Thank you for joining me. Please subscribe to our podcast to learn more about these inspirational stories. I am Minerva Salas, and I'll see you next time.